Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Steeler Fury. This is your SteelerFury.com podcast. I am your host, Bradshaw Ben, a.k.a. Accidental Zen, a.k.a. Will Massasak, a.k.a. that guy who's not friends with my cohorts, <laughs> I'm just told, uh, especially the one in Pittsburgh Suburban Zone 22, wherever the hell that is. He is still perched. He's with us. How are you, sir? Still not in Suburban Zone 22. Excellent. Good to see, good to see things are still on the, uh, on the, <laughs> the right track. Uh, and also with us curmudgeonly from somewhere in the deep south his name is fc uh he's not happy today i think how are you sir i was minus four on the front nine and then i had this fucking podcast i'm like i was off to my greatest round of golf ever without even cheating no kicking no nothing wow that's you you didn't have to bill clinton it no, no that's not. <laughs> that is I'm, i feel bad for you because the other thing about it is you know when when uh, you know you have to go at the end, then you start rushing your, you know, your putts at the end. And you know, no, we're playing the back nine, starting at two. So I didn't rush yet. I was, it was going good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, you had to interrupt something really. Oh, don't uh, worry about it. Fun it was, it, it was for, for the best. I was going to fuck it up. <laughs> it was going down the shitter. Rat farts <laughs> were coming. Yeah, totally. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of rat farts. We actually didn't have Radfords. We had, the, if you were a Green Bay fan, you certainly did uh, at the end of the game. Um, so, Perch, no style points, no margin of victory uh, computers in the NFL. So, we're happy, right? Sure, we are. Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard you sound so excited about a victory before. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm uh, channeling my inner hard nose, who hasn't been here in a while. He was always the, uh, the lively, uh, liveliest guy in the bunch, but. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it was one of those games where you thought there's no possible way with, that Green Bay can, can even hang with them, and, and they found the only way possible. You know, was it four turnovers or three turnovers and three badly busted coverages with 50-yard touchdowns? I mean, it was just and six drops. Yeah, that'll do it. Oh, yeah, six, six or seven drops uh, from the receivers, uh, a batted ball interception, the guy who never fumbles, fumbling uh, with Le'Veon Bell. It's just... It just, you know, it, it probably surprised absolutely no Steeler fan ever to see the Steelers struggle with a bad team. Uh, it, you know, it's just expected at this point. It was a little unusual, though, for a Sunday night primetime game at home. Um, well, yeah, it's right that. there, though. I mean, that's the biggest thing to me is any time that they play under the lights, Steelers are 10-0 and 0 and average 30 points a game when they play 7 o'clock or later over the last 10, you know, last few years, which is amazing. And anytime they've had one of those big celebratory nights where they honor the old 70 Steelers, and that, that was the, the case for this game where they were 
doing their Ring of Honor or Steelers Hall of Fame or whatever the hell they called the thing. All those players were there. I think Joe Green gave a speech to the team before the game. They usually come out gangbusters and just blow people away. And, you know, it started to look that way early in the game, but just, you know, Artie Burns and Sensabaugh's brains kind of left their bodies. And, <laughs> and bat, you know, it was just some really bad coverage breakdowns. It was all mental. It wasn't physical. It wasn't like the guy just ran past him. It was just, you know, a blown coverage it happened three times after it happened twice the week before and twice the week before that. It's it's becoming a, a really big problem. Yeah, definitely. Uh, F- FC, I'm thinking maybe uh, Sensabaugh and Burns spent the first half of the game trying to uh, re- trying to think of who Joe Green was. Yeah. I had far, far, far more problems with Artie Burns than I did with Sensabaugh. But, uh, I mean, Sensabaugh be with a double move. It happens. I mean, hey, dip your hat. No one's perfect. Artie Burns continuously gets beat the same way, at least once a game, every game. Um, and with Brian Allen, I mean, getting a hat, you figure Cameron Sutton's going to be getting a hat. Joe Hayden's going to be coming back healthy. I kind of wish the Steelers maybe, if we knew we were going to run away with the division like this, um, I think it would have been for the Steelers' best course to maybe investigate, you know, maybe playing somebody else at right cornerback and seeing what you have. Um, because this is probably six or seven weeks of the last eight or nine that Artie Burns has dumped the coverage, dropped the coverage, got caught pinking into the backfield. And uh, I just don't see progression. Um, I see a lot of people talking about the draft, and we need to get a safety, safety, safety. Yeah, we need a safety. We also need a right cornerback because Artie Burns is not the answer. Um, other than that, um, you know, uh, tip your hat to Green Bay. You know, uh, David Bakhtiari played a hell of a game at left tackle. That's one thing I noticed. Um, made some key blocks. Uh, Ryan Shazier ran himself out of a few plays. I'm not going to badmouth him. The kids played his heart out this year. Uh, you know, it's it's an ugly win, but it's a win. Move on. Nine and two. Yeah, I mean the nine and two part and eighteen and three in their last twenty one. You know, that's that's all that stuff's very nice. I think the reason people aren't clamoring that much for a cor- you know cornerback in next year's draft is that feel like we got you know we got two guys um that are young and that are sure going to get a chance at some point if this I agree with that but we're also going to lose two I have I, I won't be shocked if we lose two corners in this offseason yeah meaning you you think we'll lose Hayden I uh, no, I I we we extended Hayden I think Willie Gay's done after this year and I believe Sensabaugh, um, I believe he has, I believe he's on a one-year deal with a club option on the second. We may keep Sensabaugh. I mean, I'm, I understand. Um, Mike Mitchell needs to be replaced. I don't think Mike Mitchell was nearly I, – I read the board, and I chose not to comment because my comments were not going to be very nice. Uh, <laughs> what has that five, ever stopped you before? Six different threats. And the funny thing is I'll sit and I'll read you know, what a lot of posters – Post. I'll read what you post, what Perch posts, and I'm like, yeah, right on. Okay, I can see that. Even if I don't completely agree with it, you know, there is, you know, evidence that supports this. But, I mean, th- just to sit there and to throw, you know, I-, I guess people would say that I was guilty of it with Ryan Chazier or I am with David DeCastro. Those guys are both first-round picks. I have high standards. I could sit here and I could throw T.J. Watt under the bus from last week outside of the great play that he made against Jordy Nelson in coverage. He made one great play against the run. Um, did he rush the passer a single time in that game? If he did, it was a mystery. 
Right. I, and, and, and you give credit to David Bakhtiari, who I think of everybody on the field for the Steelers or for the Packers probably showed the most guts. He was playing basically on a quarter of a leg. His, his, he has uh, a sprained MCL in the left knee, and he has a problem with the right ankle. But he still came out there and he played, and he played a hell, did a hell of a job. My, my main point is we're not in two, and a lot of people are pissed off because of the Tomlin comments about the Patriots. But guess what? Every podcast that we've given this year has been centered and focused around beating the New England Patriots in two weeks and getting the home field advantage. <laughs> yeah, because because we've seen this movie before. It's like, yeah, they got a real nice team, and, and but how, how are they going to be? People that have been watching the Steelers for 50 fucking years not, you know, not know this and say, oh, you know, how can Tomlin be looking ahead? I mean, it's Tomlin's job to look ahead. Yeah, well, he's it's put it this way. It's less looking ahead than big picture. However, in other words, he's looking at the big picture. But I have a feeling Perch disagrees because he always disagrees. I disagree. What was the question? <laughs> How did you feel about the Steelers looking ahead? Tomlin's pregame comments. Yeah. Well, you can't come out and say that when you're the leader. I mean, so if Tomlin comes out and says that, right, and then one of his players next week goes in the media and says some stupid dickheaded shit. <laughs> oh. How, what leg does he have to stand on to criticize them? You know, when he's in the, in the locker room calling the New England Patriots assholes and Antonio Brown is their, you know, Facebook <laughs> Live and the thing, how could you go back to even Antonio and say, hey, that's not right. You can't do that. You can't do, put these things out there. I mean, he, he's just a bad example, you know, for as much as everybody hates Belichick and his press conferences where he's got that stupid look on his face and gives three-word answers and doesn't answer questions and – you know, everything is completely buttoned up. There is, you know, that bleeds throughout the organization. And, you know, look at the Steelers and all the issues they've had this year have been outside of football, just locker room stuff and social media shit and people saying the wrong thing. And I don't like the fact that Tomlin said it. I understand that, you know, his buddy, Tony Dungeon's like, hey, give me, give me some good answers here with no coach speak so I can have a good segment. You still can't come and start talking about it the Patriots, you know, and then for him to come out and say, we're going to play them twice and we're going to play them in the well, AFC. Well, that's, that's not exactly what he said. Well, that's very presumptive, too. He said, well, if everything, what did he say? Every, if everything plays out as, as it's supposed to, we'll play them twice. And, you know, that, that's overlooking, you know, Cincinnati and New England they have the next two weeks. Uh, it's overlooking, you know, the playoff games that they have. You know, they haven't even locked up a bye week yet. So it's, you know, it's it's... It's just bad form to go out and speak like that. Everybody knows it. He did it anyway. He doesn't care. You know, whatever. Yeah, but I, here's what I think. I think I, mean, I thought at the time that it's an intentional button push uh, to to get this team to avoid the letdown. In other words, that they, uh, you know, I mean, the reality of playing that game against Green Bay is they didn't actually need to win that game. It, it has very little effect on their ability to get a buy or to get a first round buy in the playoffs. And I think, I, well, I'm just saying they, they lose that game. They beat the Patriots. They're going to get a buy. If they lose that game, beat the Patriots and beat the other teams on the schedule, they're going to get a first round buy. maybe if, even. If, well, if they lose that game and lose to the Patriots and the Jags went out, they lose the second place and they're playing the first week. I mean, every game's important at this point. None of the players even knew what Tomlin said until after the game when reporters started asking and they said, who said that? 
Coach Tomlin said that? Oh, I have no comment on that. Was basically Ben and Le'Veon and everybody's. Well, know, yeah, and Ben and Ben Ben was really surprised, I think, to hear the words. But and the the second part about what I was going to say was, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it's the way he said it was a little less, much like the you know, quote unquote guarantee uh, made by uh, who's the safety. Uh, Anthony Smith, you know the Anthony Smith thing. It was not quite as it was made out to be. Um, let me let me just say ver- word for word. Uh, it would ask about the you know are you looking ahead to the Patriots? It's probably going to be part one, and that's going to be a big game. But probably if we're both doing what we're supposed to do, the second one is really going to be big. And what happens in the first is going to set up the second one, and it's going to determine the location of the second one. All right. So yeah, it's it's not you know he's saying what probably if they do what they're supposed to do, meaning they're both favored to be there. I, I don't see how that's like a big. It's not like he's we're the sixth seed right now, and he's like if we do what we're supposed to do, we're going to play in the Super Bowl. You know, I don't know. I just felt like it was a. I think he would never have said something like that. He's not that unguarded to have said something that not intend for his team to hear it. And feel about it in a certain way. I, I don't know exactly what button that was he was trying to press, but I, I feel I, I like I think you're completely buttons. wrong there. I'm think I don't think he was out there, you know, with this big savvy plan to to press buttons and get reaction from his team. I think his old friend Tony Dungy said, "Hey, give me some good answers so I have a good segment," and that was it. And Tomlin says, "All right, I'll, I'll shoot I'll shoot off at the mouth a little bit and and make it more interesting than just giving you you know we're focused on Green Bay, we're focused on Cincinnati." You know that that's all it was. I don't I don't think he had some great master motivational scheme. You know, uh, with with that answer, it just it just was what it was. You know, he, he said it, and, and to me, I think the downside of it is, you know, you say that, and now it kind of opens Pandora's box for your team. You can't really tell your team to be buttoned up and don't mention New England and and, and give all the right answers. You know what? Hey, maybe just embrace it. Go out and say, hey guys, say whatever the fuck you want. I don't care. You know, talk shit. You know, call New England, tell, tell New England they suck. Say we're coming for Brady. Say whatever you want. Maybe that's the strategy they need to go with. Maybe that's the strategy they're going to go with uh, because keeping it buttoned up has not worked. <laughs> you know, you know, maybe try and get New England off their game by talking trash. Who, who knows? Something different has to happen. But actually, he's, FC, he was, he was actually a, it was a compliment to New England. It wasn't, a, it wasn't anything bad about New England. It was like, man, we're, you know, we're expecting to have to beat them twice to make it to the Super Bowl. The funny thing is, is I see both of uh, your opinions, both of your views on this, and I think that... You're both wrong. Both them, no, <laughs> I think you're actually both right, in a way, which is kind of funny. Here's the thing that a lot of... I think that Tomlin is very savvy. I think he did make a minor mistake, and it, it wasn't... I think that he trusted Tony Dungy. I agree with that. And I believe what he did not take into account is how the media will take any innocuous comment and run with it to get to further the point what also is spun out of this is news that tony dungy and mike tomlin both give to a christian church that is anti-lgbt and i sat and i decided to go look and i can find four out of almost 600 and some different denominations of in things around Christianity that are not anti-LGBT. And so they're trying to run with and create a story that both Mike Tomlin and Tony Dungy are anti-gay, lesbian, transgender. And just because you give to a church 
does that automatically mean? I mean, most churches are that way. I'm not trying to be, you know, hateful. What I'm trying to say is the media takes everything, they dissect it, they put it under a microscope, and then they try to spin it to sell newspapers or to sell the story. I believe NBC did that. I believe the news reporters that are trying to come out with this story about Tomlin and Dungy in this church are doing that. If it bleeds, it leads. The Steelers are not in two. Mike Tomlin is considered the hotshot coach of the league outside of Bill Belichick, and he's a lot juicier than Bill Belichick. He gives you a lot more. So there's a lot more to get from it. So I think that's what a lot of this is. Do I think Tomlin made a mistake by saying that? Somewhat. I think it... I think if Chuck Noll makes similar type comments of what you read 35, 40 years ago in the newspaper, it's not a big deal. It's it's nothing. It's it's Chuck Noll giving credit to a John Madden or to whatever coach he was facing back then or to a Bum Phillips. In today's media or in today's world, that's talking shit. That's saying that you're better in New England. You know, if you read this and if you change that, and I, I think it was. I think the story was a bunch of horseshit. But I think Tama needs to know better because of the society and the way things work today. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, well said. I mean, I'm. I've just. I was a little bit stunned by your uh, your erudition there and your calmness and taking you know the best of both sides. I like it. You could be the. You could be a mediator. That's what my wife's doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if you've learned some valuable lessons. Well, uh, all right. So let's for a second, since we talked about the bad. I mean, for, well, I got one more bad thing for you, Perch. What would, based on what you've seen the last two or three weeks, what do you think it would actually take for Artie Burns to get benched? And I mean, even for a series, because to me that was the it was a natural time to bench him in this game when he when he gave up that play that they had seen on film and that they expected was going to come and then he did what they was not supposed to do is isn't that the time when you bring him to the sideline and you're like you're going to stand here next to me for the next series well you know i think you just touched on the key part of that is you could see tomlin mouthing it was on the damn film when when burns screwed that up and he in his post-game interview he said the same thing was you know that was a cover three beater we see him do the guy takes an inside slant the other guy comes on a wheel route his job is to keep the deep third you know, he fucked up and chased the wrong guy, left it open. It was an exact play that they were going to do against that defense. Uh, to me, you know, I think Tomlin, this is his first round draft pick. You know, he's a defensive backs coach. It's the first first round corner he's he's had to, to work with since he's been here. I, I think he's probably challenging Burns a lot uh, in film study behind the scenes and working with him in that regard. I don't think benching Burns uh, which could ruin his confidence leading up to the to the playoffs is, is a good thing. He needs to be out there, get those mistakes out of the way now so they can make teaching moments out of it. But hell, I mean, how much more can you teach the guy? He's fucking up every week multiple times, you know, and it, it's all mental. It's not like he's getting beat physically. It's not like he doesn't have the ability. I think he'd be better off if they just said Burns. Every play, you're in man coverage. See that guy? Stick with it. I think he'd do no, a hell of a job. That's, it, that's exactly he, how I feel, Burch. I'd completely Yeah, agree. it's like if, – if, it's when he has to think and re, you know, if you could take William Gay's brain and stick it in Burns body, you'd have an all pro. You just, <laughs> unfortunately we got, you know, two, one guy with a great brain and, and no athletic ability and another guy with all the athletic ability in the world and no brain. And I, I think that Tomlin's basically, you know, his hope or his plan is 
all right, let's have him out there. Let's have him work. Let's, let's take these, you know, mistakes he's making as teaching moments. And, you know, the concern comes when he makes that mistake a second time. So hopefully he gets all, all out of the way now, but it's, you know, like we've all said, we've all noted, it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon. It's, it's happened all season. So yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, that's, it's, I, I can't see them benching him. I don't think they have a better option behind him. And I think that the hope in the long-term plan is use these as teaching moments. Every time he fucks up, we're going to show him what he did. We're going to work with him harder on the film study. And I think that's probably where Tomlin's strength is. And hopefully it gets fixed. But, you know, I just, I don't see him, you know, having a great defensive mind like a William Gay does. Yeah. Here's well, the thing from my perspective. Probably, I'd say three of the four most hardcore, smart Steeler fans that I communicate with on a weekly, daily basis. That would be you two and a person that goes unmentioned on podcasts and at the board. All <laughs> 100% agree that why don't we try Ari Burns and man coverage? So here's your guy. Shut him down. And I actually think that's a great idea where I completely lose my shit and I cannot, and the thing that I cannot get by is whenever they cut back to the game after the touchdown and Artie Burns is sitting there laughing and playing games with Antonio Brown on the sidelines after he was just burned for a touchdown. That just, I cannot get by. And that is in football. That is, I don't know if it's to compete. Maybe it's how he keeps his confidence, but that is just the optics of that for me are just beyond terrible. Yeah, I mean, the optics are definitely bad. I don't know. It could it be Antonio Brown saw him as he came to the sideline and said, you know, that never happened. Get your head up, you know, something like that, that'd be yeah. good. If, if, that, if that's what's the case, and that's why I'm not throwing a, 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 making a real big deal about it, maybe maybe that's what it was. But <clears> no. Yeah, anytime I mean, that I make yeah. a mistake, and I'm not even saying on the field, on anything, it really eats away at me. I guess I don't want to use the word pride, but, you know, it's, it comes down to I beat myself up whenever I make a mistake. Sure. It's just the way I am. A pretty unique position, though. You you kind of have to react the way that Burns does because you're going to get. I mean, you're a corner in the NFL. You're going to get beat a handful of times every single game. It's just no way around it. And if you're a guy who takes that so personally that you sulk and let it affect your game afterwards, I think that might be the bigger problem. So I mean, sure. if it was any, if it was. Martavis Bryant dropped a touchdown pass and was laughing about it afterwards. That's a little bit different. If if the Castro gave up a sack and and it caused a fumble and and was joking around and laughing, that's a little bit different. But just just the nature of that cornerback position. Yep, you have to have a very very short memory. <laughs> you have to you ha- yeah you, you have to not let the last. You may get burned for a sixty yard touchdown, and the next play, you know, you're back out there and you've got to fight and and, and make another big play or you're going to get beat again. So that to me, you know, the, the optics of it, like you mentioned, are, are horrible. I mean, why the hell is this guy laughing? He's the one who just gave up the touchdown. But, you know, big picture, you kind of want your corners to have that, you know, positive attitude out there. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I agree. It's just a position where you have to be good at learn how to fail with grace because you got to let it go. Have you guys uh, ever heard of the website, The Ringer, real quick? The Ringer? Sure. Um, they have to, it's a bunch of former professional people at different positions. They actually had on, um, they had Mike Shanahan, uh, Mike Holmgren, and somebody else write an article uh, and do a, a study on clock management by NFL coaches. You know where Mike Tomlin finished? 
second uh, in the NFL. I was going to say top three. Second. Yeah. Second in the NFL. Out of NFL efficiency coaching by your thing, you know where Mike Tomlin finished? Third in the NFL. He's ninth all-time in the history of the NFL. For, so for all those people, senile 72 and stuff like that, that think <laughs> that they know a little something-something, nah, bud, nah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll let that go. Uh, just one last thing before we move on to no, well, before we move on to the the preview of this week's game because we were sort of lax in talking about the Packers last week. I feel like maybe we should spend some time talking about Cincinnati in a second because um, we could go on about this all day. Um, the uh, the the FC. Have you ever seen coverage linebackers like the Steelers have right now? I mean, I I, 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 I mean, I mean uh, since I, since I, the seventies I would compare them, you're going to laugh, at two of these. Um, the Giants back in the day, Carl Banks was phenomenal, and Pepper Johnson was very good. And the Cleveland Browns back in the day um, with Clay Matthews Sr. And uh, I can't remember the, the, uh, the other outside linebacker, but they were pretty good. I completely agree with where you're going. I mean, did, linebackers are did, very good in coverage. When is the last time you saw an NFL linebacker line up against Jordy Nelson one-on-one? And make a play on a you know any kind of pass play, let alone what he, the one that TJ Watt That's did. That's the one that stood out. If you go look at the all twenty-two, if you look at what Ryan Chazier did in coverage against Randall Cobb, trust me, I'm the first person to throw Ryan Chazier under the bus. I hammer him. The young man was phenomenal in coverage at times. Phenomenal. Yeah. He's taken huge leaps. I hope he continues to do so. I really do. It was. I, I was. This is something I've been working up to, to saying all, like all week was the people it, it, like Shazir missed tackles, and trust me, I motherfucked him whenever he did it. He missed a tackle on the screen. He came back and he played some football. He really played some football. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, uh, Perch, let's talk a little bit about the Cincinnati Bengals. Remember them? Uh, it's been a while since we've seen them this year. Uh, they seem to have kind of gotten it together a little bit in a Cincinnati way. And it, and I have to say, one of the strengths of the head coach maybe is he's capable of, he seems to be pretty good at taking, keeping the team from being absolutely terrible and getting to be only like sort of terrible. <laughs> um, I, I, say, I mean, say that as a compliment. That is a certain skill for a coach. Uh, tell me about your impressions about Cincinnati's football team at this point. Um, and ever since they fired their offensive coordinator early in the year, the offense has been better. Um, and every time they play the Steelers, they seem to have a drive or two early in the game where they do some things that they hadn't done in previous games, and they and they make a nice drive, and then we kind of figure them out and shut them back down again. But uh, the one that scares me over in Cincinnati is Mixon. I just I think he's a really good back, a lot of potential, and and he's starting to become the workhorse for them. Um, you know, if he, he gets going or breaks a long run, it, it can really change the course of the game. You know, A.J. Green's still who he is. They, you know, they've started to get a little bit healthier at receiver, you know, after him with, uh, you know, Tyler Boyd has been playing in the slot and, and doing a pretty good job. I mean, John Ross is still a healthy scratch and, you know, probably won't even finish the season with 10 catches for a guy that was drafted at, you know, top 10 picks or whatever he was. So, um, you know, their offensive line has kind of gelled together a little bit. They, I know they had some issues earlier in the year, and I think that they, they still may in this game. That You know, they had a tackle rotation last time we played them, and now they've got some guys that are, you know, actually into a position for the entire game. And their defense is always good. I mean, their their front front fours is really good. It's it's perfect week. Lord knows what the hell he's going to do. You know he'll have some impact somewhere in this game. 
And then their secondary is still pretty good. You know, they've got a number of guys back there that can cover and, and make plays on the ball. So, you know, you kind of you got to figure the Steelers need to get their run game established and just kind of bully the Bengals and shut the Bengals run game down, get a lead, and then things seem to go to shit for Cincinnati. So, but yeah, I mean, looking up and down their roster, they're probably, you know, I mean, the second best team in, in the AFC North on paper. It's just, you know, they're dysfunctional. <laughs> dysfunctional. That's why I finally got to the right word, uh, FC. Uh, you know, this team is, it's a last chance saloon really for Cincinnati. Right. So, I mean, we figured to get a pretty good shot from them. They're going to get their best shot. Uh, Perch re- uh, refers to this as perfect week. I refer to this as Geno Atkins week. Um, that's sure. Um, I mean, and Ben Perch got a very, very good point. Perfect's a dirty bastard. And he's actually also pretty good. Um, my concerns, if you say you're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, are three parts. First part, how are you going to block Geno Atkins? Second part, how are you going to keep Bonte's perfect from doing dirty shit to injure somebody? And third part, what are we going to do this week when we don't have the A.J. Green kryptonite and Joe Hayden playing? As funny as that sounds. Joe Hayden does a phenomenal job against A.J. Green. In the Players' Tribune, A.J. Green said that it's not close that Joe Hayden is the most difficult matchup for him. And, you know, that's, that's, those are, would be my, my three main concerns. Um, Cincinnati's offensive lines, eh, Joe Mixon is going to be a very good back. Um, you know, the red BB gun, Andy Dalton, I mean, he can make throws if he has time and the guy's wide open. He ain't going to force nothing into any windows. And uh, Cincinnati generally does play us lights out. Um, so, you know, the things that I think are going for the Steelers is uh, Monday night football, 7 o'clock, later than the 7 o'clock start. I didn't really buy into that stuff so much until you realize, you know, they're 10 or 11 and 0 after 7 o'clock starts. You know? And Cincinnati, conversely, is terrible yeah. in the late night starts. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess the question for both of you guys is, we don't since we don't have Joe Hayden, what do you do with AJ Green? Do you do you trust? I mean, is there? I guess Perch. Is there any way the Steelers can run the equivalent of a box and one kind of a defense? We mentioned, you know, let Artie Burns match him up with a guy. We play the run. run. <laughs> Sorry, there, I expect ninety percent zone coverage in the game. I mean, that's what they'll do. <laughs> They're not going to let you know somebody just cover him one and one down the field. You know, a few. Uh, mixed plays here and there if they have to, but it, it's going to be the Steelers run more zone than anybody in the league, and that's what they're going to do this week. And they're going to be a little bit, you know, more conservative and roll roll that coverage to AJ Green's side and not let him beat you. And the other guys Cincinnati has are, is they're not really game breakers. You know, they'll catch the ball if they're open. Yeah, it makes some, right. Yeah, it makes some possession plays, but uh, you know, that's what I expect. I expect them to do a lot of zone coverage against them. Yeah, I mean, that just feels like you're going to give up a whole bunch of underneath stuff. And but as you said, explain, explain what sorry. you're going to say, FC. No, explain. Go ahead. Um, I just thought of something else. Um, Carlos Dunlap's going to be a real motherfucker without no Marcus Gilbert this week. You know, that's 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 a tough matchup for for I. And don't get me wrong, I have absolutely no problems with uh, Hubbard, but you know, that's tough matchup for even boy, for even for Gilbert. A lot of talent. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, FC, are you concerned about what Villanueva has put on tape in terms of him? You know, because um, there's this guy across the way I know Perch wants to talk about next, Carl Lawson. But yeah, you know. um, Carl Lawson's a good player. 
the thing about Villanueva, and I'm, I, I, this is horrible to say, is whenever he gets off on the snap, and I know we go silent a lot, he's, if he locks on, it's done. If he gets his hands on you, you're done. I'm, I'm not as concerned about Villanueva as maybe I should be. But Carl Lawson, is a, he has showed an ability to rush the passer. He's shown more pass-rushing repertoire than I expected for him as, to do as a rookie. Yeah, and, and I mean, they're, they're deep. The thing is, it isn't just Lawson or Dunlap. They, they have some depth. Uh, and, and so they're going to, you know, and they have Atkins in the middle. They're going to, they're going to test you for sure. If you, if you try to, you know, if you try to, uh, get in some, you know, long pass protect situations. So, I mean, Perch, does that mean that what the Steelers on offense probably do in this game is a lot of short passing game? How do you see that playing out? Todd Joseph Haley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, you mean his middle name isn't Fuckface? That's what I thought it was. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Fuckface Haley. But that's, you know, we're still talking like it's Bruce Arians' offense where Ben's going to drop back on an eight-step drop and, and, and run three go-routes. I mean, it doesn't happen anymore. Everything, Ben drops back and the ball's out of his hand before he gets to the end of his drop. It's You know, we're throwing more balls behind the line of scrimmage than almost any team in the league. We'll throw a lot of screens. We'll throw a lot of short, quick passes. There's not going to be, you know, three go-routes and, and Ben holding the ball and scrambling forever. Um, I think it'll be a very run-heavy game plan. It'll be a lot of short passes mixed in. It'll be very conservative. They're going to go up, line up, and try and dominate the line of scrimmage on both sides. And if you look at it, you know, I, I think the Steelers' offensive line, run blocking against Cincinnati will have some success. I think the Steelers' defensive line is much better than what Cincinnati has on the offensive line. I think that's what kind of game it's going to be. I think that they'll give Ben some drives where he does the no huddle and, and throw. maybe even the first drive of the game they come out with 10, 10 passes called and, and, and you know spread out the field a little bit and try and march down the field through short controlled passing and then go to their run-heavy game plan after that. But that's, that's what we're going to see. Oh, that actually sounds a lot like what they did against Tennessee. Um, exactly. so. a lot. I think it's going to be very similar to what we, we attempted to do or we did against Cincinnati in the first game. I completely agree with what Perch had to say there. Um, does anybody know any news on Vance McDonald? Who, I can't believe I'm asking this yeah, question. The, the, the news, the latest that I heard is, uh, although he was, you know, still has the ankle injury, that he is uh, a possibility to play this week, according to Tomlin's press conference. Um, if you would have told me that I would be saying that Vance McDonald and Jesse James do a hell of a job in, in the run game um, in the beginning of the year, I know that you guys would be like, uh-oh, he got really good pot. <laughs> but uh, they actually, yeah, uh, they both, I actually think that the Steelers have missed Vance McDonald a little bit in the run game, as funny as that sounds. He's a very good blocker on the move. H-back, pulling, stuff like that. He actually does a good job. And Jesse James um, is not great, um, but he's pretty damn good. I mean, there's a lot of those runs that break because of a Jesse James or a Vance McDonald block. You know, And don't get me wrong, the offensive line is doing a fine job. That's not. I'm not trying to hammer them. I'm just saying the secondary guys, You know, the guys that you sometimes don't, don't take an account for the Juju Smith-Schusters, obviously being Sealer fans and having Heinz Ward as long as we did, we understand the wide receiver blocking is important, but, you know, it sometimes goes overlooked. Yeah, I mean, speaking of which, uh, Perch, I was a little impressed by uh, Martavis Bryant. He's, he's got like a weird season going, but he did, like, you see his effort 
is is not lacking in this. That, that's the thing I was a little bit afraid of. That you know, we get to the point where this this far into the season and hasn't returned to superstar status, but yet he seems to be still willing to do and put in the work. I noticed a couple of plays where he was really terrific blocking downfield. Uh, Martavis. Yes. Yeah, you know, and it just that play a couple weeks ago, he he dropped a, an easy touchdown pass, and then the next drive, he he busts his ass and recovers a fumble. I don't think it's lack of effort. You know, it it shouldn't still be rough at this point. I don't know what what the issue with the guy is. I mean, he's a tough one to figure out. You know, you, you look at him and you look at Antonio Brown, and and you know, Antonio Brown probably wishes he has the size, the natural you know speed and and length and and athletic ability that that Martavis has, and. And you look compare the two players, and there's no contest. Antonio's a thousand times better. It's just you have to, you know, all season before every week. I'm, you know, I play some of the fantasy sports too. I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to be the league. Martavis Bryant, you know, puts up 150 yards and three touchdowns in a game, and he hasn't broke that long. Has he got a single long pass all year? I can't remember one. Has he got any any catches over 30 yards? I think he caught one slant and took it about. I mean, a deep ball. Yeah, that one was yeah. a, a five-yard slant that he ran yeah. for thirty. But I don't think he's caught a ball that's traveled over twenty yards in the air all season. Yeah, the touchdown you know, was the closest, closest one to it. Yeah, yeah. You, you keep thinking that he's due, and it just never comes. But I mean, he's gotten better. He's becoming a, a solid number three, and that's really all we need him for at this point. When Juju's back and healthy, if Juju's the two, if Bryant can put up good number three receiver yards. Great. If he can stretch the field and get Antonio Brown uh, single covered, great. That's all we need at this point. You know, with with as good as Juju's done and in the slot and in, in the red zone and uh, blocking, you know, guy does it. He does everything when he's in there. Um, if if Bryant can just be competent, a good competent third guy that catches the balls that come to him and is a threat that draws some coverage, you know, hey, great. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever going to put it together this season. From yeah, a standpoint, I, I'm very confident in saying this. There's no Pittsburgh Steeler that plays harder or works harder, and that's 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 a big statement coming from you know with Cam, you know Cam Hayward and Stephen to it and Villanueva and Ben and Le'Veon Bell. I don't think anybody gives a more effort than than Martavius Bryant. It's the one thing that stuck with me from week one, where I'm watching if, for all this shit that supposedly goes on off the field on the field. He is a very good teammate. He blocks. He runs. He hustles. He finishes routes. You know, the, he does the things, the small little things that you ask a guy to do. It's just when is he going to get paid for the work that he's putting in and doing the right thing? And that's I play fantasy sports, and I put in a Steeler play every week, and he always manages to work his way in there. You know, four thousand dollars <laughs> in a league where you know Antonio Brown costs ninety six hundred dollars. You know, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> uh, but you're, I bet neither of you guys is buying Eli Rogers at this point. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. Oh, God. <laughs> Not an NFL caliber wide receiver. I mean, look, look at the guy. Even back when he was at Louisville, he was a, a, a number three slot receiver, you know, a guy that averaged 500 yards a season. He was an afterthought. He was a nobody. Uh, he comes to the Steelers. There was a need for that slot ability, and he knew how to run the routes and blah blah blah. And he got in, but he's just the ball. His confidence is shot. But when the ball hits his hand, he misses it. Uh, the punt thing early in the year—I don't know if that's what ruined him or what—where he, he fumbled the punt. But it just, you know. And there's games where he'll go through the entire game. Ben won't even look at him. It's like you know, if there's there's uh, three options on a route, Ben looks at the other two, and then you know, uh, creates from there or throws the ball away before he throws to Eli. But <laughs> I think you know, 
to me, that's one of the biggest priorities of the offseason. I wouldn't be opposed to the Steelers drafting another receiver in the top two or three picks for the simple fact that I think you need three in the NFL. Uh, you need three good, competent guys. And Ben, you know, with our tight end situation, really doesn't have a third guy. I mean, it, really the third guy is, is Le'Veon Bell at this point, but yep. they need another guy, whether it's a, a tight end or a third receiver. I think uh, Juju's clearly the two, Antonio's the one. And if they can get something from Martavis, maybe they move him after this year. You know, if not, they let him come back and play out one more year as, in a contract year. But, uh, yeah, I, I, they definitely got to upgrade that, that position there. I, I don't, he shouldn't even have a hat on game day at this point. No. I mean, FC, I think it makes it kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, you know, surprise me saying this. to A move, to if you're going to draft a player like that, draft a move tight end because you could draft a guy who, even if Martavis Bryant works out and miraculously becomes uh, you know, a big threat again and you want decide you want to keep him, that you've got a player that can still see the field, even if Bryant is playing. But I, um, I, I agree with that. But the problem then becomes Todd Fuckface Haley. I forgot what his <laughs> nickname, middle name was. Um, he really likes his tight ends to block. So even if we get a move tight end, if that move tight end can't block, he ain't going to see the field. I mean, the, the Steelers could have easily signed a Ricky Seals Jones, try to convert him into a move tight end. Yeah. You know? Arizona seems to have had a little bit of success with that so far. I, I know two weeks doesn't make a season or a career, but, you know, he's a difficult matchup. Um, I, I agree that the Steelers, it would be nice to add a, a third receiver. I don't necessarily think that we need to add a guy in the first or second round, but if we could add, like, a Ryan Switzer, who I know you were a fan of, um, I think he could fill in his slot and he could be a good returner or a guy like that, um, I just think the Steelers actually have some issues and holes that need addressed. I would love to find another mid-round wide receiver steal, like the Steelers had <laughs> run of for a little while. Do you think uh, it, it, uh, the Bears fans listening to the podcast right now are just laughing their asses off at our conversation sure. about wide receivers? Like, they went out another fucking wide receiver? They got... <laughs> Brown. If arguably, Juju. you know, the best one-two wide receiver, you know, with Juju Smith and Antonio Brown right now, the best two wide receivers on any team. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, Perch, just one last thing about the offense, because we haven't mentioned it to this point. Uh, is it just me or have, have – I mean, I have never seen Ben deal the way he has the last two weeks. Uh, I, I feel like uh, – wondering if I if maybe I'm the only one that thinks that. Well, first of all, the Bears stole Marcus Whedon from us, so, so they're good. Man. <laughs> they're all set. Um, I don't know. Or did you get an FC stash or what? Ben has never dealed like he has the last two weeks. What, what are you talking He's, about? He looks I mean, like the, he, he, the last looks like he did the last three years, the last two weeks. I mean, it, he's just kind of gotten back into his group. What I don't understand about Ben, though, I mean, he he's got the most head scratching season I've ever seen out of him, where. I, this is the first time in his career I ever legitimately questioned him the first, say, eight weeks of the season because I saw him do things he'd never done before where he was, you know, uh, short-arming throws when under pressure and, and throwing the ball away after a scramble when somebody got a hand on him instead of extending the play and looking downfield and, and taking his eyes off the downfield and looking to check down. It just – he was playing very cautious, like he was more concerned with his health than he was winning the game, and it, it bothered me. And boy, the last two or three weeks, I mean, last the two, three scrambles he had where he's taken off and, and, and he looked 
I don't want to say fast, but he looked bend fast. You know what I mean? Like yeah. <laughs> five years ago. You know? yeah, Jerome bet is fast. It's He's very not similar. Randall Cunningham or Michael Vick, but he looks, <laughs> you know, faster than he has in the last few years. And, and just he's playing with more reckless abandon where he'll take those hits and, and still make the play. And he's not shying off a of contact. And it's just strange. And his whole season's been strange. I also understand that the first six, seven weeks of the season, they really did play a murderer's row of defense. Every defense they played was a good defense. And then it was, you know, one after another. And then it kind of accumulated with the shit show in, in, against Jacksonville. But yeah, you, I think you posted on the board the other day what Ben's stats were uh, since Jacksonville. I mean, he's over 100 quarterback rating, 20 touchdowns, and, you know, five interceptions, whatever the stats are. He's been uh, a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, you know, each of the last five, six weeks. Um, so, you know, things are moving in the right direction. If they can kind of, you know, keep the momentum on offense going, get everybody healthy and figure out the secondary situation, it's the best shot they've, the best they've looked since 2008 or maybe 2010. Sure. Well, I, but FC, I'll, I mean, I agree with what Perch says, uh, uh, but I, I agree with what you had to say too. Okay, but wait, I but think- here, here's what I want to add. Just one quickly. Ben's pre-snap reads, I would say since 2009 in particular, He's been among the very best in the NFL at pre-snap reads. You just you, know, you can look at the play. You can pause it before the play starts when you look at the All-22, and you can think to yourself, if I have a time to think about this, where is this, where is this pass probably going to go? That's generally where Ben is either looking or thinking at the beginning of the play, and it's just you can just tell that he's put in the time, he has the experience to try to figure that out. This year, more than any other year I can remember, Ben's post-snap reads – Jumping out at me, uh, there was a play in this game where uh, they, they, you know, Green Bay showed a certain look, and uh, they even uh, at just before the snap, the safety bailed into a position where he would normally be bailing into cover two, but they brought the other safety up. So, in other words, they sh- they showed one look pre-snap, they showed a second look just before the snap, and then they showed a third look that they were actually running on the play after the snap, and Ben threaded the needle on a pass to Eli that was the perfect throw against the you know what turned out to be cover three coverage but it's like the kind of throw that he would never throw if he was looking at the pre-snap read I I found that to be extremely impressive because that's never been his strength that was going to be my point but FC you you go on you have the, the floor um I think I was it the actually the ball that Eli Rogers caught that you're it, talking it, about? Yes, down the seam. Not the not the. Th- I remember throw. there was there was okay. I actually know the exact play that you're talking about. Um, where they basically showed a cover one uh, with the strong safety in the box. They flex a strong or excuse me, the free safety in the box. They flex a strong safety back out of the box, and they basically fall into a robber coverage. Yep. I, I, I'm 90% sure we're talking about the same play. Um, to go back to what Perch was saying, and which I completely agree with, and I agree with that Ben has obviously looked a lot better over the last five or six weeks. I think that he has taken uh, a larger role in this offense. I believe that after the Jacksonville game, I think that he hated the game plan. I think he hated the scripted plays. And I think that... The reason Ben's play is better is because he's more confident in the game plan. He's more confident, you know. At the end of the day, he has to throw the ball. And if he thinks the play is shit, you know, whenever it comes in. And there's times where you where they're like, like you can see Ben even roll his eyes as he's reading the fucking play <laughs> off the wrist. If that's basically it, if he's rolling his eyes and it's a pass, I'm thinking, okay, this may not be a positive result. You know, or, oh, my God, we're going to attempt to give the ball to Le'Veon Bell for the 13th play in a row. 
No. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like a, ben adjusted, is Ben matured and improved as a quarterback mentally? I think every year, yes. You got to remember, he was raw as fuck when we first got him. You know, he was basically a, a total of four years a quarterback. You know, three at Miami of Ohio and one in Finley High School, and he walked into a pretty much pretty much ready made you know Super Bowl team. I mean, like fourteen and one as a starter his first year, won the Super Bowl the second year. And, you know, they were pretty set in what they did. And the Steelers were – I'm not trying to hammer the offense back then, but even with the evolution of, you know, Wise and Ott, Malarkey to Arians, they basically all had the same base concepts. We're a power-running game. We're going to play action pass and throw the ball vertically. And Todd Haley, you know, over the last three years, we've basically, you know, changed metamorphosed into a new, you know, three-step, five-step, seven-step drop. And I think that – Ben has finally probably mastered a lot of that and, you know, mastering the short passing attack, and he's mixed in concepts of the vertical passing game from, you know, Malarkey, Wisenut, Arians. So I think he's taken more control of the offense. He's more confident, so his play looks a whole hell of a lot better. I couldn't have said it better myself. Gents, uh, uh, Perch, we had a question. We were talking about uh, will Cincinnati attempt to establish a running game. That's from Pabst, our, our friend on the board. But before you answer that question, the context is uh, mentioned a little bit earlier uh, how good the Steelers have been the last 10 games, 11 games. I think they're 11-0 in their last 11 primetime games. Um, ben Roethlisberger, just for the record, 38-16 and 16 in primetime in his career. And uh, Andy Dalton is 5-12 and 12 lifetime in primetime. So with that in mind – that, that Dalton, maybe not the best primetime performer, will, will Cincinnati try to establish Joe Mixon in this game? Yeah, I think that that's exactly what they're going to do. I think that um, I think that's what they've started to show the last few weeks with their personality. Is, is they, they've also been featuring some of their you know lesser known tight ends, where the, their tight end has five or six red zone touchdowns, you know, in the last handful of weeks too. Tyler Croft, yeah. So I mean, that to me is when when a lot of that attention and coverage is going to A.J. Green. You know, the Bengals obviously adjust and trying to establish those second options. It's a lot like Pittsburgh, where everybody focuses on Antonio Brown. They maybe didn't have a strong second receiver and or a really good tight end, so a lot of the, the secondary, uh, you know, attention and passing game and the running game go, goes through Le'Veon Bell. I think that's what they do with Mixon. Mixon's a talented guy, man. He can he can run, he can catch, he's fast, he's strong, he's, he can do a little bit of everything. He's a scary player for Cincinnati. You hope he doesn't develop. I think he's probably the most talented running back they've had in, in the last 10 years just based on talent. You know, you kind of hope that uh, he doesn't develop to what his potential is. But I, I would uh, suspect they try and establish him. I just think with that offensive line they have, you know, if the Steelers play their game the right way, they should be able to limit him. Yeah, I was going to say, though, you know, for all the talk, FC, about how Le'Veon Bell's uh, yards per attempt rushing at 3.9 this season are not what we expect of him. It seemed, you know, seemed pretty low. Uh, I just look at it, Joe Mixon, 3.2 yards per attempt. Jeremy Hill, 3.1 yards per attempt. Giovanni Bernard, 3.6 yards per attempt. Um, they might want to try to establish a run, but it seems like they might uh, have a hard time doing that. Yeah, I mean, you've... I think the big part of Cincinnati's problems is that offensive line is not only young, but the players that aren't young aren't that great. I mean, I'm not trying to hammer around, you know, hammer, hammer, you know, Russell Bodine or Jake Fisher or Okabuchi, but 
you know, Cincinnati's offensive line, and I I never really thought of Eifert as a decent blocker, but he's a little bit better than Tyler Croft, who I'm not taking anything away from, but he's not the biggest guy. He's more of a pass-catching tight end. Cincinnati's problems and inability to run the ball are, you know, pretty much Andy Dalton got a candy fucking arm. We're going to double-team A.J. Green and force, you know, the secondary receivers to beat us, and we're going to play the hell out of the run. And they can't win. They can't run against seven-man boxes for the most part. If you show a seven-man box to the Steelers, I guarantee you Le'Veon Bell is going to be averaging more than 3.9 yards per carry. With the Bengals, you can actually show a seven-man box and, you know, limit their run game. And that's because offensive linemen aren't winning at the point of attack. Well, you guys are you guys are the best. You you you've totally you've totally nailed it for me. I got no more questions. Let's quickly go to our. In that case, we're going to come back and do and and pick the results of this game in a second. Uh, let's quickly do our around the league pick segment brought to us by. He goes Bill Bonds, Mike Pereira, um, and Akeem Talib's mom's jewelry store because the way he's fucking snatching chains, she must be selling <laughs> some gold. <laughs> yes, and Roger the Clown. Who could forget? Whatever that shit was going down. Anyway, <laughs> listen to this podcast. It was like, oh my God, it keeps Talib's mom better not be in the crowd. And if she got her gun through, there's going to be somebody going down. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I mean, what did you make of that whole thing, man? That was crazy. As soon as I seen that they keep Talib snatched his chain again, I was like, wow. Whenever I see Michael Crabtree literally went for the eye poke twice. I was like, wow, wow. That was like it grabbed the chain, ripped the helmet off, eyes poke, pushed him into the – like the poor guy on the sideline perched. How, how about that? That play where Crabtree blocked him into the uh, down marker and threw people on the sideline. And there's just some poor guy, like a ball boy or something, just got completely plowed. Yeah, I, I almost think that the solution would be to kind of go to hockey rules. You got two guys having a problem like that, all this shit with perfect – you know, have him and Rosie Nick square off in the center of the field. Exactly. Fight. Drop the helmet <laughs> and play at the 50-yard line. Yeah. You guys are out of the game for the next five minutes, and then go on, go on with your business. Exactly. Spend it for a quarter. I'm, I'm good with that. Can't come in Make unless the clock stops. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one way to deal with it. I mean, you know, they're, they're not this league, man. Different, different league yeah. uh, entirely. Um I'm gonna let I'm gonna, in a in a switch. Uh, I'm gonna let you guys choose a game you want to talk about. FC, what do you what do you like? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, uh, I'll throw some at it. I'll throw some at it. Washington at Dallas. I, uh, I, Baltimore I, I, Baltimore hosting Detroit. Uh, New England at Buffalo. We Bay, we'll, we'll stick with Baltimore at Detroit. All right. Okay. Matthew Stafford has had an extra few days to recover. And I watched that Baltimore game versus Houston. Oh, my God, why did I watch it? But (laughs) I was thinking, I was like, holy fuck. Both these teams' offenses are equivalent to an NAIA school. I think that Stafford actually can have some success against the Ravens this week. And uh, even though I believe the game is in Baltimore, I'm 85% sure the game is in Baltimore. This yeah. Would that be correct with that? It is, yeah. And the weather is supposed to be a little bit bad, and I think that Stafford has the ability to make the throws. And I think that the Baltimore offense is so fucking putridly bad that I think that the Detroit Lions are going to beat the Baltimore Ravens, and I think they're going to beat them by more than 10 points. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> they've been pretty good at home, and that uh, that kicker is not not bad. Um, Tucker, the Opperman, he's a fantastic kicker. As I'm saying, he's unbelievable. Yeah. Really, um, I don't know. Two field goals for every touchdown that Stafford scores. <laughs> True. I don't know that perch. Is Baltimore's defense and special teams not for real? I mean, they they feel like it feels like one of those, uh, you know. The Steelers back in the era when they had great teams, all except for the quarterback. First of all, watching Baltimore Ravens play football is the most painful fucking thing. <laughs> the world. Oh, it is. That's, oh, it's, you know, as much as the three of us love football, it's almost punishment. I sat down and watched that last race. It's, it's difficult to sit and watch that cra- just crap football team. The big takeaway, I think, from, from the game they had last week any defense, any competent NFL defense, which I think certainly Detroit has, is more than capable of completely shutting Baltimore down. If you have a somewhat capable defense that has decent guys at every position, you could shut them down. Also, you know, they were playing against you know a, a lower caliber quarterback, uh, certainly than, than Matt Stafford. You, you can move the ball. You can move the ball in the Ravens. You can pass the ball in the Ravens. If you have a decent defense and a competent quarterback, you should beat the Ravens. The only way the Ravens beat you is by turnovers and special teams. They've got the best combination of kicker and punter anywhere. I've said before, Justin, Justin Tucker is the best kicker I've ever seen in my life. Bar none, Vinatieri, Morton Anderson, Gary Anderson, I don't care who you like. He's the best kicker ever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, as long as Stafford doesn't get hurt and they don't get into a turnover fest, uh, I agree. I think Detroit goes in there and wins that game. Yeah, I mean, uh, just one last Ravens question since we're on them. FC, what is what is wrong with Joe Flacco? Did he just like wake up one day and realize, oh, I'm Joe Flacco? There's a line from the movie Train Spotting um, that that goes on that his theory of life, which is one day you have it, the next day you wake up and it's gone, and you never get it back. And I think that's how I look at aging a little bit is you could do something, you know, like at 25, that wasn't a problem, but at 40, <laughs> that ain't happening anymore. And I think that I'm a, I'm Joe Flacco has been beat up. He was a little bit older of a player whenever he came into the NFL, you know, with the transfer from Pitt to Delaware and different guys lose it at different paces. Um, my dad watches a lot of football and he compares Joe Flacco a little bit to Burt Jones. Mm. The Colts back in the day, where it was pretty goddamn good, and then one day he just wasn't, and he was done. And unfortunately, or fortunately for us, uh, unfortunately for Baltimore fans, is they got a lot of money tied up in them, and for a lot longer of a period of time. And I think he's done. I think his arm's done, and I think his one knee is definitely done. I believe it's his right knee, the one that he broke the knee brace on, and he looked like fucking Frankenstein trying to walk without it. Yeah, I mean, um, you you mentioned the movie reference for the uh, the Gen Xers. I'll give you one for the Baby Boomers, and that's Damn Yankees. It feels like Joe Flacco made a deal with the devil for his Super Bowl run, and the deal was you get to be you know unbelievable during your Super Bowl run and win the Super Bowl, but you'll never play again. You know, right, <laughs> who had a better career, Eli Manning or Joe Flacco? That's where I was going with it. Oh, go Neither. Perch. But, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest, though. Outside of those four games that Flacco had, which he played really well in those playoffs, you know, if the guy from Denver doesn't lose his mind and stands and intercepts the pass instead of 
his controller getting unplugged and they get that long touchdown. Flacco's thought of as a first-round bust, and Baltimore probably replaces him with with Tyrod Taylor a couple years ago. I mean, that's Flacco's entire career is four games. Eli Manning, there are 20 active quarterbacks in the NFL right now, right now, not all time, right now, that have a better career quarterback rating than Eli Manning. Eli Manning's been in the league for 14 years. He's won a playoff game in two of those years. Both of those years he won a Super Bowl. So 12 of the 14 years, this is a guy who was drafted, you know, traded two first-round picks to go number one overall to be taken. If not for those great defenses they had those those two seasons and him doing reasonably well, and he wasn't great, he was reasonably good in those playoffs, Eli Manning's a bust too. I mean, so basically these guys' careers are defined by four and eight games. But, I mean, if you look at their, their career up and down over and over, neither of them are, should be a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think Eli probably ends up getting there just because his last name's Manning and he won two Super Bowls and he played in New York. But, I mean, geez, it, it's, it's – and if you look at a guy like Phillip Rivers, who's going to be an afterthought, you know, when his career's over and how consistently good he's been throughout his career, he's never to this point – and I, I say to this point because I think that the Chargers have built a really good roster around him. And if he gets in the playoffs in the next two or three years, maybe he wins one. But uh, just, you know, he was clearly a better player than either of those guys, but he just doesn't have, you know, the hardware. It's a guy's legacy can really be defined by three or four playoff games. And like I said, Um, unless you're Ben, Um, the uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying because that doesn't seem to affect uh, anybody's opinion about Ben Roethlisberger. But let me quickly, FC, I'll give you the floor, but let me summarize Joe Flacco's career. Ready? His entire the hinge point of his career was a fourth and 29 play with the season on the line where he was so gutless that he dumped off the ball to his running back at the line of scrimmage. Who only got you 28 yards, I'll add. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying, on fourth and 29 with the season on the line and his career hinging in the balance, little did we know, he dumped it off to a, to a running back on fourth and 29. That that is all you really need to know about Joe Flacco's career. Go ahead, FC. That would sum it up. I mean, it really <laughs> would. I mean, and and, and it works. For him. It's my like point it's about Manning and about Flacco, where you know Manning. I think the the and the one thing I would add about Manning's career is the success that he had against New England. You know, who is considered the juggernaut of this generation. So. But yeah, I've never if if I had to sum up Joe Flacco, I think I summed it up probably in the first article I wrote about him is this is the guy they couldn't beat out Tyler Palco at Pitt. And I really stand by that to this day. <laughs> Even though he had won his he won a Super Bowl and he did what he did. I just uh I never I don't think much of many NFL quarterbacks right now. I think that there might be five or six elite starters. And there's a bunch of guys that are, you know, maybe borderline or, you know, like Philip Rivers would be fall into that borderline category for me. And, you know, obviously Brady, Ben, Rogers are your elite quarterbacks. I think Wentz is ready to take the step into the elite category and the same thing with Russell Wilson. But those are the only two young quarterbacks, I think, that I would sit here and say are elite. So... You know, that's like the people that were trying to get rid of Ben and all that. I would just always sat there and I was like, what type of fucking idiot are you? I mean, you must be really young because you don't remember, you know, the Mike Tomzaks, the Kent Gramps, that a lot of the guys 
that are a little bit older can remember. And I'm sure, you know, B2B and, you know, even the older guys, like at our board, you can remember the Terry Hanratties and stuff like that. And, I mean, I just, I can't, I just, I can't fathom the Pittsburgh Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger or an elite quarterback now. By the way, mentioning Terry Hanratty in the same breath as Kent Graham. I know, I'm sorry. Insult to Terry Hanratty, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm waiting like, for my fucking dad to pop up and punch me in the face. You know? yeah, so. Hey, just quickly, because uh, there are a couple of good games I wanted to talk about. We, we ended up having a great conversation, but there are two games on the schedule that both have great quarterbacks playing against each other on good teams. Uh, so just quickly, Perch, New Orleans hosting Carolina. They're a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, Carolina is my sleeper pick for the NFC. Um, I just kind of feel like they can get it together. I know you've disagreed with me in the past. You saw New Orleans against the Rams. I feel like this is you know important game for these two teams. It kind of might decide that division. Uh, what do you see happening? Yeah, the Panthers just keep hanging around. I mean, they've got some flaws. They, they don't have, you know, they really haven't put that offense quite together yet. Um, but they keep their defense is pretty good. It's not quite as good as it was in their Super Bowl run. They just keep hanging around. The Saints, every time I want to write them off, they come back and, and look really good. Once I jump back on the bandwagon, eh, they, they have a stinker like they did last week. But I think overall, I, I think New Orleans is, is the better team. They've got more explosive players. Alvin Kamara, every time I watch him, he's doing something amazing. They've got a, the best one-two punch at running back in the league. Their offensive line is good. When they need to throw it, they've got Drew Brees and Michael Thomas and those guys. They can do what they need to do. And their defense, I know they had a few guys out last week, and I, don't, I haven't followed it close enough to see if they're going to be back this week on, on the, in their secondary. But I, I like the Saints to win that game and cover. I think they win by a touchdown. Yeah, uh, FC, you can comment on that one. And also Philadelphia at Seattle, six point, uh, Philly's a six-point favorite. Give us a little bit of uh, NFC okay. action. I, I see that we're going to be up against it with the clock. So. Um, I watch a lot of uh, Carolina. Um, Cam Newton is, is is a solid quarterback. He really struggles with pressure, and no one blitzes more in New Orleans. Um, I think the Saints not only win, I won't be surprised if they wax them a little bit. Um, I really can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm going to take the Philadelphia Eagles to go into Seattle and win. The reason I'm going to is uh, no Chancellor. Earl Thomas is once again dinged. Um, overrated Richard Sherman's injured. Uh, the one thing that impresses me about Seattle is they seem to take these cast-offs from nowhere, and they're getting production out of them as pass rushers. side. Deion Jordan from Oregon, um, Marcus Smith, who former Philadelphia Eagle, Louisville player. Um, they're actually having some success rushing the passer with them, but I also will take the Philadelphia Eagles over, over Seattle in a very close game. Um, I think Russell Wilson may be the best young quarterback in the NFL, if you can still consider him young, um, and I really respect what he does. He's, he's Really, a great competitor. He's just once he gets the most off every down that he can. Um, he reminds me a lot of a smaller Ben Roethlisberger with probably a little bit better feet and not as good of an arm as a young player. Uh, and I, I think that'll be a great game to watch. Persh, one uh, your your take on that game in a sentence, and your uh, you get one sentence on Atlanta, Minnesota. Oh boy, that's a good game too. Um, yeah, Seattle. It's tough to pick against Seattle in Seattle, and Russell Wilson's been pulling you know rabbits out of his hat this season like crazy. But yeah, Philly to me that's the most complete team in the league, and I, I just they're almost getting to be like New England at this point. I'm not picking anybody to beat Philadelphia until I see somebody do it. So that's that. It, Atlanta seems like they're coming back to life. They looked really good the first week or two of the season, and they kind of hit hit a wall. Uh, struggled a little bit, and I think they're putting it back together. 
you know, every week I keep doubting Minnesota. Uh, I know they've got a really good roster, uh, but boy, they, they've kind of, I think they're playing above their head still. So give me Atlanta and give me Philly in those two games. Uh, FC of Minnesota, Atlanta, or give me that one. Um, I'm going to agree with Perch and take Atlanta, but it's going to be a holding game. Great. That does it for our uh, round the league pick segment. Uh, and let's move on to picking our five-star matchup because we're in it. It's Pittsburgh Steelers against the uh, dangerous. And by that, I mean, you could lose a limb uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Perch, I'll start with you. Well, the Steelers own Cincinnati. Ben almost never loses in the state of Ohio. The Steelers are really, really good in prime time. The Bengals are really bad in prime time. The Bengals always choke against the Steelers. Marvin Lewis is still the coach, and Andy Dalton is still the quarterback. So everything to me points to a Steelers blowout. I'm going to go uh, Pittsburgh 22, Cincinnati 19. <laughs> FC. Um, I'm going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers 23-13. to 13. I believe the Steelers will be able to establish the run. I don't believe the Cincinnati Bengals will be able to establish the run. Um, at the end of the day, Ben Roethlisberger will be the better quarterback on the field. Special teams will probably play a factor in this game, which concerns me. Um, I actually also like the idea that the Steelers put Martavius Bryant back to the return kicks. I would like a better option than Fitzgerald Toussaint. Anything else that I'm going to talk to you about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals game, you will find inside the Steelers Fury podcast thread at the board. Oh, very, very nice. Well done. Uh, I, uh, I'm i going to take the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Perch summed it up perfectly. It's just all of the trends in like what generally happens in these games uh, is playing itself out. And I, I feel like you know, the thing, I, the thing I'll say is I don't think the Steelers have played their best game yet this year, and I like that in a team that's 9-2. and two. That's a luxury to be able to say that. Um, I like the Steelers maybe a little bit uh, higher scoring, 34-16, I'll say, in this game, um, just because if, if you can – if the other team is going to struggle to run against you and you are going to be able to run against them, even, even if things don't go well with the breaks, the bounces, and so on and so forth, I think you're still going to control the game pretty handily i'll take the steelers 34 16 uh go to ufc your last word this is probably the first podcast that i didn't do stoned and i think that i actually did a better job <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go back and compare later we'll look at the tape because the tape don't lie exactly. my friend. there you go <laughs> yeah, perch well, as much fun as I've had all week uh, bashing Eli Manning and laughing at him being uh, benched for Geno Smith, uh, you know, it, it really does start to put things into perspective. We talked a little bit on this podcast about uh, the Kent Graham, Mike Tomzak, Neil O'Donnell, Cordell Stewart years. And, and for those of us around, you know, my age and FC's age who kind of came into Steelers fandom at the end of the 70s and lived through 25 years of mediocrity at quarterback. And in this season, with Ben's play starting to decline a little bit and him hitting at, at retirement and Eli Manning getting benched, guys, it's coming down to, to the wire here. We probably see one, two, at the most, three more years of Ben before we go back to those days of having a really good roster and no quarterback and, and, and being mediocre again. So enjoy it. Quit bitching about looking for the next quarterback. The Steelers need to ride Ben out, give him as many weapons as they can uh, after he, he's gone. You know, start your start your backup, whoever that may be. Suck for a year and hope to find the next one. That's to me the, the right way to do it. But enjoy every game you see. I mean, he's probably one hit away from being retired. So enjoy every game you have with with a Hall of Fame quarterback. You don't know when the next one's going to come. 
Man, I heartily endorse that. Uh, I'll just say for my last word that I, I, I'm just going to say for my last I word that Birch endorses that, but it's just the fact. Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like enjoy it while it's there. That's all you can do. I mean, I I do feel like we don't spend enough time enjoying it because it's so short. You know, you spend the whole week bitching about it, and then three hours enjoying it, or maybe suffering, and five minutes of enjoying right back it. To Right back to pitching. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> and on that note, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this year that's been your SteelerFury.com podcast. Thank you to my uh, cohorts, uh, Steel Perch and FC, as always, and uh, to Fury and everybody at the board. Appreciate it. Uh, let's talk next week after uh, a solid Pittsburgh Steelers victory. Go get them, Steelers. Oh, Break Burfitt's neck. <laughs> Steelers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.